Back in uh, October 2010, I was uh, privileged to be asked to uh, attend the third uh, Lausanne Congress on World Evangelization. And uh, it was my privilege to uh, be one of a number of folk here from Wales uh, to go uh, to Cape Town and uh, meet with over 4,000 other uh, evangelical leaders from something like 198 different countries. And uh, it was just an amazing experience to meet that number of people all talking and praying through issues of mission, both on a, a local level, a national level, and a global uh, level. And uh, there were hundreds of thousands of other people joining us as uh, webinars were taking place. The whole thing was being cast all over the internet. And uh, just, just a huge privilege. So uh, if you ever you've been to an international con conference with your work or whatever, um, it's a bit like just going to Shandid, no really, but you have to get on an aeroplane. Uh, so uh, the secretary uh, booked my flight and uh, asked my advice about what kind of a hotel I'd like to be in. And I had this lovely little hotel just under Table Mountain. If ever you've been to South Africa, to, to Cape Town, uh, beautiful little three-star hotel, not one of the grand palace hotels or anything like that. But it's really, really nice. And uh, I'd love to go back there and to take Sarah with me. But uh, Sarah's my wife, for those of you visiting, in case you just think it's an ad hoc woman I've just come up with. <laughs> <coughs> But I had a strange experience when I was there. And tell me if this has ever happened to you. There I was in this amazing conference facility doing something which I am passionate about, something that I love, meeting with all these different people. And I was walking home, or back to the hotel, and uh, suddenly figured out I didn't have a clue where I was. And for just a few moments, I was very aware that nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew that I was there or felt I was lost. Nobody, I mean, I, I, I guess I stood out in some ways, but nobody really had a clue. And I just kept on walking, and you probably had this uh, feeling yourself, you know, you think, oh, the hotel's just around the next corner, I'm sure I recognise this. And you get to the next corner, and oh, blinking neck, it's not. And so you just keep on going. And in a city of over 400,000 people, with all the hustle and bustle going on around me, with all that I'd been experiencing, there, right there, for that moment, I felt incredibly alone. I was just so aware that I was by myself. And then an amazing thing happened. I had a little bit of a spiritual experience. He's gone nuts, you're going to say now. But I did. In that moment, stood on the edge of a pavement with a grocery shop. I can see it in my mind's eye right now. I just became so aware that however lonely I felt, I was not alone. Because God was with me. And he gave me the guts to ask a police officer the way back to the hotel. <laughs> <coughs> Men don't ask for guidance or directions or anything. But it was amazing. And whenever 
I come to scripture or whenever I'm with people in a pastoral situation, some of you here will have heard me tell that story, um, where people feel incredibly alone. I want to testify as to how, in that moment, I've had periods in my life where I have felt incredibly lonely, but I've had to learn that I am not alone. And so tonight, as we continue this uh, little series that we've been doing uh, on the names of God, I want to share with you about the reality that God has promised that you will never be alone, because he reveals himself as Yahweh Shammah, or Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is present. The Lord is there. Indeed, if you take nothing else away from tonight's sermon, I just hope and pray you might remember that God is there for you. He is here, right now. He is everywhere. And he will be with you tomorrow morning with whatever you've got to face, or Tuesday afternoon, or Wednesday evening, whatever it is, you are not alone. God is with you. In the Garden of Eden, we read that everything at the start was perfect. We have been looking at the names of God, and of course the first name of God that we came across many weeks ago now was Elohim. This idea that God is the creator, the powerful maker of heaven and earth. Adam and Eve live in a place, don't they, of beauty and comfort. Genesis paints this beautiful picture for us. It talks about the Lord making all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground in the garden, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And everything literally was rosy in the garden. But it's fascinating, as you go on through those early verses of Genesis, the real pièce de résistance, the real thing that stands out amongst everything else, is not how wonderful creation is. The thing that stands out for humanity is that God himself walked in the garden in the cool of the day. His presence was humanity's greatest pleasure. God was there. And again and again in scripture, we read of a God who is there, a God who is present. You remember a few weeks ago, we looked at Abraham, who met with El Shaddai, God Almighty. But the fact is, God Almighty was present. He was there with Abraham. That was a key thing. Jacob found that out, didn't he? Do you remember when he wrestled with God? He had a, 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 an old-fashioned wrestling match. He got his hip injured. But God was there. Moses uh, doubted God's presence. He had an encounter with him at the burning bush. And he suddenly discovered God was there. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses turns around to God and says, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. He was basically saying, I'm not going to shift one foot 
unless you come with me. Because these people understood that God's presence, having God with you, makes a huge difference. And I'm sure you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? I know I would. If I know that God is with me, it does change things. It does change things as I'm praying with somebody in a hospital. It does change things when I'm anxious about things. It does change things in different volatile circumstances that many of us have to face. God gets that. God understands that it's important to the likes of you and me to know that he is with us. He knows the human psyche well enough. Do you remember how he demonstrated his powerful presence to the petrified Israelites when they were in the desert running away from the Egyptians? Do you remember? It was very important that they understood God was with them. So by day, God presenced himself, do you remember, in a pillar of cloud. He was saying, I'm here, I'm here. And at night, when they couldn't see the cloud, he became what? Fire! Fire! Remember that song, Brian? (coughs) No, you don't. Too young. (laughs) God was present. That was the key thing. He knew that the Israelites needed that assurance. God is with us. So by day, if they saw the pillar of cloud, they knew God's here. It's tough, but God's here. At night, as they were running away, God's here. It's okay. He's here. God was personally, powerfully present with his people at all times and in all places. Say it with me. God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. Say it again. God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. Now that's something that we were challenged with this morning, wasn't it, those of you who were here? Because there is this tendency that we all have to kind of put God in a box called chapel. And you kind of come to chapel on a Sunday to meet with God. And then you leave chapel Sunday night having eaten all the custard creams. Good for my diet that you do. And then you go on with your your jobs and your lives in the real world, but come back the following Sunday to meet God again. And the challenge this morning that we got from Pastor Tim was, stop thinking about that because it's quite wrong. God is everywhere. He's with you in the mundane things. Like when you're taking care of your kids and having to do their washing. He's there when you're doing your schoolwork, when you're playing in the playground. He's there when you're going around the hospital ward. He's there when you're adding up the figures. He's there. Whatever it is that you do, God is with you. His presence is there. As you serve customers, as you do the things that you have to do. But there's this tendency, isn't there, with all of us? To kind of say, well, no, he's back there. And that's the challenge for us. To remember Jehovah Shammah, 
the God who is with us. Do you remember the Israelites had a a portable tabernacle that symbolized the fact God was with them? This was always a struggle for them because the nations of the world had temples to worship in that kind of, you know, were built as these grand places where God was deemed to dwell and you could go and you could meet with God. And they were desperate for something like that. And they had this portable tabernacle. And in Exodus 25, it was designed to be a dwelling place for God, a place that the Israelites could relate to amongst the nations around them, or this helped them to know that, yeah, God was there. But then you fast forward to the time of King David, and there's a wonderful thing that takes place in the book of Psalms, and Sean's going to come, and he's going to read to us. Now, listen carefully to this psalm that many of you will know very well. And listen to what it's saying about God's presence. Thank you, Sean. Our reading this evening is taken from Psalms 139. O Lord, you have searched me, And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You am me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light became night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw me, my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offence way in way me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. <coughs> Thanks, Sean. Do you see it? David got it. David got it that God could not be confined just to a tabernacle or a particular place. David came to understand that God was with him wherever he was. Now that passage establishes a very key theological doctrine. An attribute of God that is very, very important. And something that sadly I think we, we've forgotten a little bit. And it is quite simply the omnipresence of God. This is a very important theological doctrine. A very important doctrine for Christians. It helps us, simply stated, to understand that God is always wherever he needs to be. He is able to do whatever needs to be done because he's there. He's everywhere, present at the same time. He is there. He is here. He is everywhere. Now this doctrine, don't be put off by big words and everything. These are the reasons that people like me go to Bible college and stuff. But these things are very, very important if we're to understand the truth about the God we worship. If God is contained in a box that is known as Mariah Baptist Chapel, you and I are stuffed. You do get that, don't you? That's an important theological principle too. We're stuffed. Because I need God with me tomorrow. I've got a series of meetings tomorrow that I am not particularly looking forward to. Deacon's meeting in the night, yes, that's fine. But two other meetings tomorrow, hmm. I need to know that God is with me. The problem is, Arid needs to know that God's with him as well. Oh, and by the way, Mary needs to know that God's going to be with her. Now, we've got a bit of a problem if God is here. And only here. Do you see how this theological principle works? We understand that our God is not contained and restricted within a box called church or chapel. There is something wonderful, don't get me wrong, about when we come together on a Sunday. I love it. I love it. But God is not bound to this place. You'll probably recall how King David was eager to build a permanent residence for God. And God wouldn't allow him to do it. Instead, his son Solomon had the privilege of constructing this temple for God's name to dwell in. And as you read through the Old Testament, you'll know that enormous resources were involved they shipped in trees and there was gold and there was all sorts of stuff it was a, a massive project carillion would probably have been given well, i don't know that at the moment maybe not <coughs> the uh, project was massive it took seven years to do it, it was a huge undertaking 
And the temple was built to symbolize the fact that God was there. But it's fascinating. Even as all of that was going on, even Solomon himself recognized that a building couldn't actually begin to contain the awesome glory of God. Because you read in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon saying, well, will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. So the irony of the whole temple experiment, so to speak, is that even though the people now had a temple, even though now they were like the other nations of the world, and in their mind's eye they had the assurance now that God was there with them and present, the interesting thing is that for all of that having been completed and this majestic temple being set up, the people, what did they do? They compromised spiritually, and they went away from God. For all the grandness of having a building, they fell away. Hmm. Sound familiar? Think about it. They became more preoccupied with the place than the presence of God. There's a danger, isn't there, for us good nonconformists, that we become so preoccupied with the place, we forget what it's all about. Now, don't get me wrong, we have to do work on the building, we have to keep it good, it serves us, and it serves the community, and we're able and blessed to do a lot of things through this place. But it's a tragedy and a travesty when the building becomes everything. And the mission of God's people in going with God into the marketplace, into industry, into commerce, into family life, into the neighborhood is forgotten. You know what happened in the Old Testament? God tried to redress this problem. They had this great temple, but the people went off and did their own thing. So God sent numerous prophets onto the scene to help bring them back. Those prophets were often met with resistance. Finally, because of their disobedience, what did God do? It's fascinating. What God allowed to happen was the Babylonians to come in, attack Jerusalem, and after 400 years, 400 years after it was constructed, the temple was destroyed. That was the big thing. That was the big, big thing. And the people were deported into what is today modern-day Iraq. God's people then find themselves living in a foreign land, no temple. And it's fascinating as you read through the scriptures, do it sometime, and see what their mindset becomes. The temple that symbolized the presence of God has been destroyed. They've been shipped off into a foreign land they end up saying things like this. Where's God? Where's God? Is God with us? Is God real? Is God interested? Is God present? I've heard people say similar things here in Wales. When chapels close, 
as if in some magical way, when the chapel closes, God's gone. He disappears. His presence in some ways is less. Let me just put it out there. If we had to close this building and meet at Teesign Primary School, we would be as much Mariah Baptist Church as we are right now. And if we have to meet at Molly's Coffee Shop or Benito's, and some of you go over to the tavern, and others of you go down to the coffee mill, and others of you go to the Celtic Manor or wherever, wherever we are, we are still Mariah Baptist Church. Because we understand something. God is not wedded to the building. He is not only to be found here, he is present with us. When you get up tomorrow morning and you're sorting out things for the day, when you're making the pack lunches for the kids, when you're sewing a button back on your trousers, when you're dropping the kids off and picking the grandkids up, when you're paying your mortgage or collecting your pension, God is with you. God is with you. Wherever you are, he goes with you. As you move through the Old Testament, the people, as I said, find themselves living in a foreign land, no temple. They begin to wonder, where is God? And then you come to the book of Ezekiel. Full of warnings and judgments, the people are pretty messed up, pretty worried about the future. And then in chapter 36, God reveals his desire to restore the people. In chapter 37, you've got that amazing uh, vision of the valley of dry bones. And uh, you come eventually to the last section of Ezekiel. We read plans there to rebuild Jerusalem. Part of that is that they're going to rebuild the temple. They've been out of there for 14 years. They've been in exile, living as refugees in a foreign land. Psalm says, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Boney M wrote the song about that. Do you remember that, Brian? Gosh. It's all there. And they long to go back. They long to go back and meet at the temple because God is there. And so God, interestingly enough, in the last words of the book of the prophet Ezekiel says to them, he says, the name of the city from that time will be the Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah. The name of the city from that time will be, the Lord is there. Where is God tonight? Where is he? I, uh, I want to pull all of this together because we've done some theology. Omnipresence of God, wow. We've understood basic non-conformist traditions that buildings are useful and good, but we're not wedded to them. We understand good ecclesiology, Ooh, big words now, in that we understand what the definition of church is. It's about people, not buildings. We understand something about the theology of place. God isn't bound just here. When you go to Tesco's, he's with you. He even goes to Lidl's and Aldi. He's been known to go up to Pontchartrain as well, to Sainsbury's. He's wonderful, he's well-traveled. 
So where is God? He is there. He is here. He is everywhere. Three things, very briefly, as I bring things to a close. The Bible describes at least three ways that Jehovah Shammah is present. The first is this. Jehovah Shammah is present in Jesus. I, I, I just think Jesus is a lovely guy, but he's more than just a lovely guy. He is God. And, and don't miss this. Don't miss the importance of this. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, we're told that the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. The word dwelling there, it's very, very important. It's the same word that's used in the Old Testament for tabernacled. So when they had the tabernacle, the portable presence of God, this is the same word that's used here. Jesus becomes the embodiment of God. He is God in the flesh. Literally, God is templed amongst us. God's presence no longer restricted to a place, but now evident in a person, his son. We've just been celebrating Christmas. How many times on a Christmas card have you seen the word Emmanuel? How many times have we sung it in a Christmas carol? It's that understanding that God is with us. Paul in Colossians 1 states, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So Jehovah Shammah is Jesus. Secondly, Jehovah Shammah dwells in believers. When Jesus declared that he was the dwelling place of God, the people were blown away. The Baptists of the day wanted to stone him for heresy. They, the religious people thought he was an absolute heretic. But the people were blown away by this. That God was not restricted to the temple that they could see every day. But no, here he was in the flesh. And you take that on with the words that Jesus says and the understanding that Paul applies to them and you understand that when Jesus died and rose again, the big thing that took place with the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit is that suddenly God's presence isn't just in Jesus, it's in you. Wow, what a terrifying thought, Chow. Sharon has the presence of God in her. Let's just go and have a look. Let's have a look. I'm going to embarrass you now. I'm just checking. Because Rachel Speed has the presence of God in her as well. Don't say anything but Sam Thuellin has as well. If you're a believer, you have the presence of God in you. Now think about that. Even Julian Knight that's just come back into the service has the presence of God in him. Can you believe that? I know it's a, it's a long push, that. But if you are a believer, you have the presence of Almighty God in you. Wow. It doesn't excite you a lot, does it? Don't... All right, lovely, that's nice. What time's the cup of tea coming? Because it's already late. This should blow your mind. The presence of God 
Jehovah Shammah is in you. Paul got this. He made a bit of a fuss about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Don't you know that you yourself are God's temple, that God's spirit lives in you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. When you go into situations, when you have difficulties, when you have problems, God is with you. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him as your personal Lord and Saviour, he is with you. Coming here on a Sunday doesn't do it. You don't get a little bit of God and leave with a little bit of him and by Wednesday need a bit more. No, 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 no. You have to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. You have to welcome him into your life. The world is an amazing place. And you and I get to live in it with God. With God helping us. So for Sharon, and for Chris, and for Duncan, and for me, and for Aled, and for Mike... All of us, if we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted in him, we get to go with God into this world. Wow. What are you struggling with? You could face it with God. Have you trusted him yet? Have you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Or do you just come to church? <laughs> do you just hope to pick up a bit of it on a Sunday? Well, you can know the powerful presence of God in your life if you would but accept Jesus. And know that you can go and face things with him. Jehovah Shammah is Jesus. Jehovah Shammah dwells in believers. And finally, Jehovah Shammah is preparing a place for us. When Jesus announced to his disciples that he was leaving them, their natural reaction was, oh my gosh. Because again, we see the presence was withdrawing. We get that. We understand that now. He was going. What are we going to do? Don't worry. Stay in Jerusalem. And he makes this promise to them that they're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. He also says something else. There in John 14. He says to them, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Wow. Where are you going on your holidays? Anybody here going abroad? Oh, posh. Anybody here going to England? Yeah. Anybody here staying in Wales? Yes. Anybody not sure what they're doing yet? I think I told you before, I once checked in at an airport and the girl said to me, the place where you're going, sir, is that your final destination? <laughs> I had some fun. I had some fun. Funny you should ask me, I said. No, it's not. I'm going to a place one day where I will meet with Bernice Williams. Amen? Amen? And she and I 
We'll sing together and we may even dance. I'm going to a place where I will enjoy John Harris's company again. I'm going to a place where I will meet with Jesus face to face. And my mum will be there. And my dad will be there. And it will be glorious. It will be glorious. There is a day coming when I will be where he is. It's cool, isn't it? Isn't Jehovah Shammah cool? What does this mean for you as you leave here tonight? As you go and get your cup of tea? Well, I hope and pray that you'll face this week with the certainty that God is with you. I, um, I was going to say about that. Let me read to you what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, Whatever your difficulties and trials and sorrows, all is well with you if God is your delight and his presence your joy. The name Jehovah Shammah is a reminder that in our darkest hour, God is with us. When you feel abandoned or afraid, you can cry out to him. Maybe this week for the first time, you'll remember this name and you'll cry out, Oh Jehovah Shammah, reveal your presence to me right now. I think we need to learn to trust God more that he is with us. And we need to understand that if we are believers, he does live in us. We are his temple. We need to think seriously about the way we live our lives. Are other people seeing the reality of God in us and his presence? You know, I was thinking about how this finally kind of hits the, how the rubber hits the road, if you like, for you and for me. We... I look out on this sea of faces, and I know some of you have incredibly busy and responsible occupations. Some of you are retired, and you're involved in caring for grandchildren and stuff. Others of you do all sorts of things in different ways, lots of stuff that perhaps you don't make a fuss about or whatever. I, I just want you to know that God is with you, and whatever comes, he's there. I think we need to really trust in him for that. That we don't need to fear the future. God's got the future covered. And I hope you understand that. Some of you are on a, a rocky, winding road and it's been difficult. And you're worried about things. And I just, hear me tonight please. I just want you to know God is with you. You may not be aware of that. I, I, I give you that. And you may struggle with this idea. But please just let me speak these words over you. God is with you. Jehovah Shammah. Our faithful God is present. There's a, another key doctrinal uh, thing that I just want to finish with. And, and it's, it's this. It's called prevalent grace have you come across this it's this idea that we need to get into our thick noggins that as much as God gives us grace for today to cope with what we've got to do today he's already giving us grace for tomorrow and for Wednesday some of you aren't looking forward to this year 
Here we are in January, and you're looking out under this year, and you're thinking, oh my gosh. I just want to say to you, God has gone ahead of you. He's already at work. He's already working strategically for your sake, for your good, and for his glory. While I'm struggling with the problems of today, God's providing solution for the things I'm going to face tomorrow. He's working in situations right now that I haven't even faced yet. He's getting ready. And while I'm living in Sunday, God's already on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. God is already there. Don't sweat it. He's got it covered. He knows the future. It's wonderful, isn't it, to know that Jehovah Shammah is with us and that he has got this thing covered. So please, Jehovah Shammah, let's hold on to him. Let's, in the words of Habakkuk, remember to be strong as people of the land because he is with us. Let's remember, as the author of Hebrews reminds us, that he'll never leave us. He'll never, ever forsake us. And as Jesus himself said in Matthew 28, he's with us always, even to the very end. So friend, would we finish this service tonight by saying this together again? God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. He is. When you feel alone, when relationships fail, when you get bad news from the doctor, when your kids make bad decisions, when you wonder why you hurt so bad, when you feel like hurting yourself, when you're tempted to do something wrong, when you make a mistake, when you can't pay your bills, when you're afraid about the future, God is there. He is here. He is everywhere. And I pray that will encourage you.